Hey, good to see all of you, and uh, man, that worship was so good, especially, um, and then sitting in the front, you kind of hear everyone in the back, and some of you sing so well, and some of you, you know, it, it's good, you know, God, um, <laughs> and, and I know um, I joined the second group, but uh, I love, love that, and um, just, um, uh, it's wonderful, so it's, it's nice to worship and to sing, and there's so many wonderful things that happen uh, when we do this. You know, uh, this is a, a interesting time as they cross the Jordan, and this has been good because I, I know the youth group have been going through Joshua, and um, we've been preparing together with Sergio and myself, and uh, the times that we preach on the same text, and so I know we're kind of uh, journeying through this together, which is nice. Um, but they cross and they make it over to the promised land. This is kind of the, the big event, right, in, in Israel. This was a land that was promised to them, and they finally make it. And the first thing that they do, and you would imagine as they settle into this area called Gilgal, you'd want to look for places to settle down, uh, places to cook food, get water, whatever it is. The first thing that they do is they put up this monument. Um, the Ark of the Covenant, which led them into the Jordan, it, and the priests, they're still there. The people of Israel, everyone crosses through, and they make it out to the other side on dry ground. And then after everyone gets out, they go and get 12 men, one from each tribe. They're called to go back in and go get a rock. I think it's probably maybe a, a almost a small boulder. They ask him to carry it on their shoulder and to bring it out. And now they build, and Joshua builds this monument. And then the Ark of the Covenant comes out. And so this uh, wonderful thing happens. But this is the first thing they do, is to build this uh, monument here so that they would remember. You would, you would imagine the years later, after they settle in, after the wars and everything is done, as the people settle in, this might be a popular spot. This might be a place people would come um, on their days off with their kids. You know, the water, the Jordan is there, the river is there. And this might be a spot they come and they would see this monument. And the question naturally would be asked, well, who built that? Why is that there? Um, and that is uh, described here. And we say, well, why do we have to build monuments? You know, it's interesting, the, kind of the older I get, the more I appreciate um, museums and monuments and things like that. I mean, there are, there are a lot of different ones and for different reasons. You know, you go to the Staples Center, there's statues of Kareem and Magic and so on and, and Wayne Gretzky. And um, yeah, they, they help us remember all the good days when they, we had championships and so on. But there are things that are of way more significance and meaning, right? I remember. Um, we went on a trip to Atlanta. I went out there to speak. I took my family years back. And we stopped by the King Center, right, which is, and maybe some of you have been there, but it's Martin Luther King Jr.'s Center. It's a, a, a museum. It has all of, a lot of his things and pictures, but it's adjacent to Ebenezer Baptist Church, the church he pastored, the church where he preached many of his sermons. And so the images that you would have often of him preaching or the, the grainy videos, it was there at Ebenezer. So I, we have a chance to go in and sit there and I'm explaining to my kids the significance of this. 
Um, they have an actor who comes out and he would uh, go and give some of these sermons that Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, delivered and they would deliver these almost sounding like him and you get a feel of what that was like. And right behind it was his home. So you get to go and see his house where he lived and the whole neighborhood is there. And you get a really a feel, man, this, and, and you know, you, you go to the places like this and you realize the things in the, you learn lessons, right? First of all, you appreciate what had happened. But this wasn't that long ago, man, 40, 50 years ago. It wasn't that long ago. But also it affects you. Right? This is the power of a, a memorial. It affects you in the way you want to live. It changes you. It gives you a new perspective. It gives you a value. And you say, I, I got to make sure I live in this way. I'm going to fight for justice. You know, I'm going to make sure there's not an ounce of any kind of racism in my family. And I, I, you know, there are things that you walk away with that benefit you. And this is the, the point of a memorial. You know, I was on the same trip. We also went to the Anne Frank Library or Museum. So it was a real, you know, fun vacation for my daughters, right? So um, um, I asked him, you want to go to Atlanta? No, you know, let's go to Orlando or something else, you know. Um, but uh, we had chances to go there, and I, I personally appreciate that. And now, this is built, and this is the first thing that's done, because they're going to have victories in the future, and there's going to be failures, there's going to be uh, wins and losses, and regardless, both of those things could often help us or hurt us, and it makes us turn away from God. And so both of the, this is a reminder that when the winds come our way and the good things happen, that we remember God. And when the hard times come that we don't for, think that God has forgotten us, remember what he has done. You know, um, I think we could categorize people. Why we need these memorials? Why did God create this? I think there's two reasons why. Number one, we are forgetful people. We forget. Why does he tell us to gather, you know, regularly? Why did the church start meeting on the first day of the week? Why do we do this? We forget. We need constant reminders. We need to go back and remember how I felt, remember what I thought, remember what I decided, remember the words that I said. We have to go back to that. But secondly also is... Um, we get affected a lot more by neg negative things than positive things. You know, there was a, a study that was done um, by a social psychologist, Allison Ledgerwood, and, uh, from UC Davis, and she talks about how we get stuck in the negative. And she talks about her own experience. And she talks about as a professor, she says her week is kind of like this, if we could kind of put a, a line to it. But the high point of the week would be one of her papers gets published, right? And it's a high point. But she says she would come right back down, maybe the same day, and it would just continue. But then she said the low point would happen where her paper gets rejected. And then she says she goes down to a low point, but for some reason she just stays there. And even if another paper gets published, she says it goes up, but it just kind of hangs out here. It doesn't balance out. It doesn't, one good doesn't have the same effect as one negative. And so she does a study, and she gets two groups of people. Group A, she shows them, um, tells them about a drug that was out there, and only talks about the positives of the drug. So drug, you know, this drug, it helps 70% of everyone who takes the drug, and then, so do you like it or not? And... Um, Group A, everyone says, oh, I like it. It's definite like. It's good. Group B, they talk about the same drug, but she only focuses on the negative. 30% of the people were not helped by this. 
do you like it or dislike it? And I was like, oh, dislike it, that's bad, you know? So what they do is they follow up with that, and for the group A people, they give now the other side of it. They say, well, by the way, 70% were helped, but 30%, it had no effect on them. It didn't help them. Do you still like it? And for some reason, when they hear the good and they hear the negative, they all went and said, oh, we, we dislike it. That drug's no good. So you would assume that in group B, once they hear this, the positive side, that their minds would change. So they say, well, 30% were negative, but it helped 70% of the people. Do you like this drug? And the people all said, no, we still dislike it. For some reason, they stayed in the negative, and they did this with politicians. Oh, he did 70% positive, 30% negative. Do you like him? They say, yeah, we like him. Group B, we dislike him. They say, well, he, though, didn't keep up with 30% of his promises. Do you still like him? Now we dislike him. This group that disliked him at first said, well, um, here is 70% of the positive things he's done. Do you like him now? No, we still dislike him. For some reason, they studied that human beings stay in the negative. When something negative happens, they stay there. And she did a study which was really fascinating about um, our economy and when our economy kind of tanked in 2007, right? And the mood of the people were followed with the economic state, you know, 2007 and then a few years later, um, come 2010, 11, it rebounded and it was fine. The mood of the people came down, it followed, but it stayed down, it never rebounded up. And so we deal with this. So we in general, and the conclusion obviously is we make more of the negative than we ought to. And think about it, you know, if I were to ask you, oh, how was your week, and we, after church, you know, we have, how was your week? A lot of us, we will dictate it, if it was good or bad, on the one negative thing that might have happened, oh, it was a horrible week. What? I got a, I got a parking ticket. Well, that was one thing, right? Um, it was a bad week. You know, someone at work really messed me up. It was a bad week. But that was one thing. You might have had 20 positive things, good things that happened to you. But you just focus, and the one thing affects us. So because we forget easily, because we get stuck in the negative, I think that's why God tells us here, he says, build this monument. Because the Israelites, as we continue through Joshua, they're going to now face the highs and the lows, the victories and the losses. And they need to go back and remember they're going to forget. They need to go back and remember what God has done. And you know, the whole, uh, we go back and it changes us. When you go back, it affects us, right? You learn from the past that it changes, it affects you to live differently in the future. There's a story of a man, 80-year-old man, Alan Sloper is his name. Alan Sloper, 10 years ago when he was 70 years old, uh, this is in Australia, he goes to the famous Bondi Beach there. He goes to help uh, set up a booth. There was a carnival and he was going to sell something there. It was a big day at the beach. What had happened is he gets there 10 years ago and he sets up, but he has a heart attack and he passes out. There happened to be a doctor who was off duty there just hanging out with his family and the lifeguards come, they do CPR, they save his life. So 10 years later, when he's now 80 years old, he, he's been going back, but 10 years later they go back and the newspapers follow him and they go and see him interact. And you could imagine this is a very joyful maybe even tearful, emotional reunion as he meets those that have saved his life. And this is what he says, right? As he goes back to the place, he drives two hours to get to Bondi Beach. He goes there and he, he says about this, he says, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. 
they, and he's sitting there with them, they added 10 years, at least 10 years to my life. I had the chance to watch my five grandchildren grow up for these past 10 years. He goes back to the place and it reminds him of what happened. And he goes back there to this site, the same place. He sees the same faces and he walks away grateful for what he has. And so we see this story here. Why, why does God build a memorial, right? Uh, Number one, I kind of try to break it up into these three parts, but number one is a reminder that we have to keep telling the story. It helps us to tell the story, right? There's something tangible to it, right? Can you imagine if you were the one that carried the rock, when you go back with your kids and you're touching the rock, and you're, you're, you know, the rock that you had brought out happened to be the rough one with jagged edges or maybe the one you brought was the smooth one and the lighter colored one or whatever it is and you remember. And you remember how you brought it out of the Jordan right there and you had brought it up and what that's like. It, it, the purpose of that is not just for me but it's also it's for the next generation. It tells us in, in the text that we read, verse 21, and he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, uh, what do these stones mean? Right? Verse 24, also, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. So there's a twofold purpose. This memorial set up so the next generation would know and also that all those at the ends of the earth would know. So there is a mandate on the church somehow that we have to relay this story of God's goodness to us, the gospel message, to the next generation of kids. Not only that, we have to go and somehow share this with the world around us. Every first Sunday of the month, as you notice, our youth group comes in. You know, every first Sunday, we become like cooler and younger, right? Or, um, it's because they're in here. Um, and we do this intentionally. Because we want them, we want the younger guys to be with us and make us cooler and you know, all that. Um, but also, we want them to say, this is, oh wow, this is how those, the old people worship, you know? Wow, this is how the grown-ups do things. Wow, you know, and that, that, that's the old preacher, you know? And like, like we, but we want them to learn the faith that is possessed by one generation to be passed along to the next, to have that experience together. You know, when Peter leads our Sunday school program, you know, his number one goal, you know, if we were to give him a, a, a job review, have you been, is to somehow teach the Bible lesson. Boring is okay. Being a little long is okay. You know, but you have to teach the lessons here. Right? And that is the mandate that we have. So when they built this, it was not just for those who carried it out, but for the kids who were to come, um, the next generation of people who are to come. What is this about? Tell me the story. And how important it is that we continue that as well. Secondly, is the, this was a reminder of their first love. Don't we all need this at times? A reminder of who is important. You know, when we talk about first love in the Bible, it's really who's number one. Who takes priority? And this was that reminder. You know, verse 23, this phrase in 23 and 24 is used, the Lord your God, right? Verse 23, for the Lord your God, dried up the water, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. Verse 24, fear the Lord your God. Um, calling the Lord by his proper name, entitling him as your God. 
it is telling the person who's there, remember, he is your personal God. He is your first love. He's the one that is number one in your life. Now, today, after the football game, um, there's going to be a lot of different testimonies. And, you know, whoever wins is going to probably, someone's going to come up and thank God, right? <laughs> I'm going to Disneyland. Thank God. Um, and, you know, they're just happy. They want to thank everyone, right? Thank the refs. Thank the organization. Thank everyone. Um, and, but, you know, usually, and you, we've all heard this so many times. Oh, I want to thank, you know, God first and family second and football third. You know, like, and that's like, yeah, that's cool if you're a football player. That's how it should be, right? And they'll say that. But it's one thing to give lip service. We've all said things like that. We've all, at one point or another, in sharing in a small group, sharing a testimony. Oh, yeah, God's number one. And we've thought that and shared that. But the reality of it is, in order for someone or something to be number one, it takes one thing. It's time. A parent who tells a child, oh, I love you, but drops off to just a big gift and runs away. It's not love. It, it takes time. You know, a, a, a woman who loves her spouse but doesn't spend time with that person. Or a friend who says, hey, I love you as a friend, but they never have time to hang out. That, that's not love. And here's a reminder. The Lord, your God, remember the Lord, your God, the Lord, your God. Let's make it clear that you have a relationship with God. It's a personal relationship with him. He is your number one. You know, in the, to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation, there's that famous verse, right, in verse 4, Revelation 2, 4. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You have abandoned your first love, other translations say. They, were, they did a lot of good things, but the good things took over that number one spot. And sometimes the good things in our lives can take over the number one spot. They're all good. Working hard is good. Working out is good. Hey, you know, date nights are good, and, and my kid's stuff is good. Um, you know, my career is good. Getting more educated is good. Those are all good things, but they can easily become now number one. And he reminds them of that. And so, you know, I, I used to do this. Um, and I, I knew one couple that they remembered um, well, the woman remembered um, every anniversary there was, like everything, um, the first date they went on, um, and then the first time they became an official couple. And by this time, as a guy, you know, you were like lost, right? You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then, you know, and then their anniversary, and they would celebrate everything. And, um, you know, I was like, oh, okay, you know, wow, it's, it's a good thing, you know, thank you for my wife, you know, like you say things like that. Um, and I used to... Uh, when I would meet a new couple at church, I, I used to say this, and I used to say, oh, good to meet you, you know, oh, you're married, good. And I used to just kind of ask them, oh, so how long have you been married? And I tell you, there have been so many times where I could tell by, you know, you could tell by the look in the eye. The woman already knows. And the guy's like, ah. You know, first he's trying to figure out what year is this, like minus, uh, how do I subtract? It's already hard enough. And now it's an awkward, she's like, you know, and then uh, it's like nervous laughter, and I was like, let's forget about that, you know? So I, I was like, I told myself, don't ever ask that again, all right? Don't ask people that, all right? Um, ask them when they're away from their spouse, all right? But really, um, a chance for us to get together, a reminder that God sets for the church to meet regularly. Our church father starts meeting on the first day of 
the week. Remember the ascension of Christ, and we have carried that tradition, and we get together to remember him, that he is our first love, that he loves me, that he is number one, that uh, you know, everything else is second, third, and fourth, that he is number one, and we forget that easily. And we look at someone else, and it seems like for them, that's not it. So then we compare ourselves to that he's number one. And the third re reason for this reminder is to remind us that God is great. Not only is God good to us, but God is great. Right? The great attributes of God. It says in verse 24, so all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Somehow that we can gather here and remember that God is almighty, that God is great. You know, in Deuteronomy 32.3, it says, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. You know, the word ascribe, we don't use it too much today. But the word here, ascribe, is the word that means to associate with. So when he says, I, when I think of God, the word I associate with God is greatness. Ascribe greatness. Let's put greatness to God. When I think about God, let's remember God as being great. And that phrase is used throughout the Old Testament. Ascribe greatness to our God. G.I. Packer said this um, in his book, Knowing God, and he said it so well. And he said it in the 70s. He wrote this in the 70s. But he says this, and there's a quote I want to share with you. He says, the Christian's instincts of trust and worship are stimulated very powerfully by knowledge of the greatness of God. But this is knowledge which Christians today largely lack, and that is one reason why our faith is so feeble and our worship so flabby. We are modern people, and modern people, though they cherish great thoughts of themselves, have as a rule small thoughts of God. When the person in the church, let alone the person in the street, uses the word God, the thought is rarely divine majesty. He wrote this 40 some years ago, that we have as modern people small thoughts about God, grand thoughts about ourselves. But when it comes to God, it's small thoughts. And how it ought to be the other way around. We ought to have great thoughts about God. We ought to approach God and have wonderful thoughts about him. And we, every third Sunday of the month, we gather at our church and we have a time where we take the Lord's Supper, you know, we call it communion. There are other names for it, Eucharist. Eucharist is a, is a Greek word. It, it means to, to give thanks. You, you know, is good, like eulogy is good. Uh, charist or kara is, means to give thanks Right, to give in this way. And so that's the thought that we give in this manner. And we gather now. And this week, um, I'm going we, we, to ask our, a couple of our guys in the back. We're going to give away these rocks, right? Um, and uh, you can come on up, and uh, we're going to pass these rocks. Now, take a rock. These are not authentic rocks from the Jordan, by the way, all right? Um, these are... Just from the store. Um, this is not an actual size, but pick one. Pick one that you like. Um, and we want this um, to be a reminder, right? I want you to just place it somewhere in your house, uh, maybe in your bedside table, or maybe in your bathroom counter where you get ready. Just place it somewhere in your car. Um, 
And just to be a reminder that God is great, that God loves me, he's number one, and that every time you hold this, that, that you would remember that. You know, Ephesians 3.20 talks about Jesus, or 2.20 talks about Jesus being the chief, the cornerstone of our faith. The stone, the rock of our faith that we stand on. And um, when the winds and the victories come your way, can you be humble and remember the one who gave it to you? Um, and when the losses and the hardships come your way, can you remember that he is still great? This com uh, upcoming weeks for the Israelites, they're going to have victories. They're going to go to Jericho. They're gonna, then they're going to have losses. They're going to go to Ai. They're going to lose tremendously there. And yet, it's a chance for them to go back to the rock and to remember. And so we remember him today. May your thoughts be filled with the thoughts of the greatness of God. And may your lives from this moment on be changed because of who he is and what he has done. All right. We're going to, um, everyone take a rock and then we're going to um, pray and uh, uh, wrap up our time here. So let's, let's pray together. God, um, Lord, this, we, we have a rock in our hand here. We want this just to symbolize um, who you are. And Lord, as we look at this and remember the time I grabbed this, that you are great and you love me so. So Lord, as the, uh, the victories of Jericho come our way, and God, we, we get the promotions and the new things and the new opportunities and we say God is good and we, we, we celebrate that. Help us to be humble at that time. And God, when the hardships and the AIs come our way and the defeats come our way we still go back to the rock Jesus Christ we go back to you and we ultimately have the victory in you so God that's sufficient for us so we gather today to remember you we gather today to be transformed by what you did on the cross for us so we love you and we thank you for that and we want to follow closely to you we remember you here today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.